let's get into it. Um, this week in, is week four of a series all about prayer, and there are seven specific yet powerful prayers uh, that you personally can start praying, that you can start adding to your prayer arsenal today um, that will actually allow you to and lead you into the fullest that God has for you. These are seven very simple prayers, very basic, yet at the same time, I think there's so many believers that don't even know to pray for these things, don't even know how to articulate these things, don't even know the language for these things. Um, and, and, I, and I pray that if you don't know how to pray these things, if, if you haven't yet begun to pray these things in your own faith, walk, um, and you're missing out on so much that God has for you, that that would change today. I pray that there would be a shift in your prayer life and in your motivation to pray. But before we get to those seven powerful prayers in Scripture that have changed my life, we have to define what prayer is, and we've been doing that every step of the way. Uh, I'm shutting down the chat, so I know you guys can hear me. I'm actually live today. Prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose, and I encourage you to write this down if you have not yet. Uh, Prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose um, as his own child, his own beloved child, and according to his own word. And so the Word of God provides the framework for our prayers and approaching God as we are and according to who He is, is how we ought to pray. And then that prayer is intentional, purposeful. It's not this discombobulated, meaningless, uh, I'm just saying things that I don't even mean. It's, It's talking to God with intention and purpose. And this whole, these whole last, the last two weeks really, and including today, this is week three of why we should pray. We've been really trying to, you know, figure out why should we as believers even take advantage of this communication line we have with God? Why should we spend time talking to God when sometimes it feels like I'm talking to the ceiling or talking to nothing and I feel like nothing's happening and, and I let my feelings overwhelm me and kind of drive me away from prayer? Why should we pray? And the very simple answer uh, yet most life-changing answer I can give is that God allows prayer to be the method of causing things in your life, in your world, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family. God has ordained prayer to be the method of causing things in our world. Now, this doesn't mean that prayer is required for everything to happen, but there are so many things in our life, in human history, in our world that God has sovereignly ordained. These things will only happen if you pray. And we looked at examples of that in, in previous weeks, so go watch that if you have not already. But one of the essential ingredients, this is, whole, this is the whole reason we're going through prayer, one of the essential ingredients to the blessed life or the fullest life or the most abundant life, the most important ingredient um, that, that I've come across besides scripture is learning how to spend time with God in prayer. And some of you have never considered prayer uh, as a way to legitimately cultivate relationship with God as your father. You have not yet come to the place in your faith where you see prayer as a way to invest into your friendship with God. You see prayer as a transactional thing where it's I come, I give, he answers. And there is an asking, you know, um, response, seeking, knocking, he answers kind of relationship that prayer has. There is that dynamic for sure. But prayer is not primarily purposed for the transactional, God, I'm going to come and ask and you're going to give. Uh, a lot of us have yet to get to the point in our, our faith walk where we see prayer as, actually, I just love the communication line I have with God, being able to cultivate friendship and know him and spend time with him and, and actually have his attention and be aware of his nearness. That That's incredible. 
And I'd say if, if you have not yet come to a place in your faith walk where you see prayer as an opportunity to cultivate friendship with your Father and relationship with your God and Creator, you're only experiencing half of what prayer really has to offer when you don't just sit with Him to be with Him, when you don't just sit with Him to enjoy His nearness and His presence. And I promise you, I'm going to prove with Scripture right now that your, and this is the whole heart of this message, your best life, the fullest, most abundant life that you can't even dream of or know to think of, that your imagination can't even touch, the fullest life God has for you is found in His presence. And that's not limited to church. That's not limited to worship. That's not limited to time in scripture. That's not limited to Bible study with my wife or my small group. That's all these things. And the primary ingredient for the relationship we have with God is this communication line that we call prayer. Prayer is a necessary component to not just experiencing the fullest relationship with God, but prayer is necessary to accessing everything God has made available to us in Christ. The endless heavenly riches, the, the spiritual blessings, my heavenly inheritance in the heavenly places, all of that in Christ is accessible, and I walk into that through something called prayer. Prayer is a necessary ingredient to touch and walk in and experience everything God has you know, made available to us in Christ. So this is the difference, the distinction between having something with my name on it and actually enjoying that and experiencing that through walking with him in obedience and, and reading scripture, but also praying. Praying is a necessary component to that full abundant life and all the spiritual blessings that God has granted you in the heavenly places are accessed through what we call prayer. And God has so designed this world um, that these things, the fullest life, spiritual blessings, our heavenly inheritance in this life, those things are experienced through communion with God in prayer. But it starts with cultivating and feeding that desire to pray. You have to have a strong enough desire and a motivation and a strong enough why to get into the presence of God so you can begin to see your father the way the psalmist does here in Psalm 43. So let's jump into the scripture. Psalm 43. And then we'll get into the seven uh, prayers that really will drive a person into the fullest God has for them. Psalm 43 verse 4, it says, this is what the psalmist says. He says, then I will go to the altar of God. I will go to God, my exceeding joy. Have you have yet to get to this place in your life where you see God as your exceeding joy? Not what he does, not what he gives, not what he can accomplish for you, but just very simply who he is as your creator and savior and redeemer and father and, and everything that he has made you know us to experience him as. Have you seen God as your exceeding joy? He says, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The psalmist is viewing the opportunity to bring sacrificial offerings uh, to not yet, I don't believe, this, the temple, because um, uh, maybe it is. Depends on where this is. I don't know where this is chronologically. But regardless, the altar, the opportunity to come to the presence of God in the tabernacle or the temple, to bring a sacrificial gift, to come and praise with the people of God, to come and worship and, and, and pray to God through offering this opportunity to approach God, he's super pumped about it. And you and I have this constant streamlined communication with God at any moment of any, every, any given day. I can choose to approach God and see him as my exceeding joy. So the, the psalmist has gotten to a place in his life where um, 
approaching God either in prayer or worship or sacrificial offerings, right, is, a, is an exceeding joy, something he's super pumped about. He's looking forward to it because God is there. God is his exceeding joy. Psalm 73 verse 25 says this, and this, I want you to just really shut down everything around you as best as you can right now and really tune into this, me- this passage right here. Meditate on it. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. This is what the psalmist declares about God. My flesh and my heart may fail. And I've experienced that all week with poison ivy. But God is the strength of my heart. That's something I discovered this week. Just laying miserably in bed, having no sleep whatsoever. Just wanting to be unconscious. Like wanting to go to sleep so badly all day. Miserable, itching, and, and the suffering. All of the it's terrible. I, I, I can't even want to talk about this, this week has really brought me to a new place of appreciation for God. Not what he does, not what he can accomplish, not what he can give, but just very simply who he is. The fact that he's near, the fact that he comforts, the fact that he is present in this very moment. He says, God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. It's interesting, this question, whom, who am I, whom have I in heaven but you? Uh, the answer is no one. Who is the totality of and the substance of my existence and everything I want and pursue? Who am I made for but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. This is the heartbeat of prayer. This is the heartbeat of prayer. Whom have I in heaven? What do I have that competes and compares with you? Everything else that I can imagine in this life and even in the life to come, compared to you, God, it pales in comparison. God is the abundant life of his people. So the question is, why should we pray? And it's because we get to be with God. And you go, oh, why should I care about being with God? Why should I care about knowing him? Let's just say knowing God personally through friendship and cultivating relationship, it makes your life better. We seek God with a purpose and a reason in mind. Every time you choose to pray, there's a reason you're doing that. The reason every time, at least the bare minimum of every time I choose to seek God in prayer, whether I tune into him while I'm driving or whether I'm aware of his presence while I'm doing the dishes, every time it's simply to know him. I just want to be aware of you. I want to know you better. I want to be with you. I want to be present in the moment and recognize the fact that you are near. So along with what I'm about to share with you, here's, how I, here, here's the, the general structure for today's message. There are seven very beautiful but simple yet powerful life-changing prayers that you can start praying today. And I've framed up these prayers not just as here's what to pray, but alongside of that is here's why you should pray. So each prayer is not just something you can verbalize and begin to articulate to God yourself, but each prayer itself becomes a reason to seek God in prayer. So let me give you an example. The first reason to pray and the first prayer we pray, here's the first, here's, here's the big why. Reason number one, there's seven of them. The infinite God has invited us to come and know him. That's, one, that's reason number one. How that translates into what we pray, and here's me giving you language from the scriptures to pray to God. Here's the prayer alongside of this reason to pray. God, show me who you are. God, show me who you are. 
So you think about who God is based on, you know, where you're at in your faith walk and what you know about God in scripture. God is the only true and living God. He's the eternally existent one. He's the creator of everything. He's the purpose and the central focus of everything. He sustains everything. He's the one who brings the universe into order and existence. He's the almighty, self-sufficient. He depends on nothing else. He's all-powerful. He's incomprehensible. His love is endless, yet he's intimately near to people who choose to seek him and be with him. This is the God that we're seeing. He's invited us, the magnificent, incomprehensible God who is above time, space, and matter, who can't be contained. He has invited us the specks in the in the universe that we are, when you really zoom out, he's invited us to come and know him. So I, I think about how this translates in, you know, as a practical example with my own wife. When I think about, uh, sometimes I just, I'm hanging out with my wife and I'm, I'm very present in the moment, right? Or, you know, the same with my son or my daughter, regardless of whom I'm hanging out with, someone that I value, someone that I love their presence, Uh, Sometimes I'll just be caught up in the moment and I'll realize it's crazy that you, my magnificent wife, (laughs) could have chosen anyone. You chose to be with me. You exercised your, your free will in this moment to be present and to be with me. That's crazy. You're way better than me. You're way beyond me. I don't deserve you. Translate that to our relationship with God times that by a billion. We, this, is the, this is the heartbeat and the perspective we should have when we approach God in prayer is how much th- there's a balance here. There is the, without Christ, I technically don't deserve to be here. But there's the other side that counterbalances that, which is I can confidently approach you because you've allowed me to be here and you want me here. It's not just that God is, fine, you can come and pray. It's that he's the one seeking after us to come and be with him and find him. And then sometimes in, in prayer, they'll ha- you have these moments where you go, it is absolutely incredible. Like there's no word to capture the fact that you, almighty God, want to be present with me right now. With the billions of people you've made across human history that are present in the world, across space right now, there is an equal desire you have for all people to come and know you. This is what Proverbs 8.17 says. And again, this first prayer is, God, just show me who you are. Sometimes I spend time with my wife just because, I don't know. It's just a part of our routine in the evenings when the kids go down. It's like, let's put on a show And I'll be honest, I'm not always present the way I want to be and the way I desire to be. But most of the time, I am present and I'm really thinking about how, wow, it's crazy that like, again, you've chosen, you could be doing anything right now. You could be present somewhere else, but you've chosen to be with with me. There's a value in that. There's a value in knowing someone has decided and chosen, I want to be with you. And again, we times that by a billion with God. Proverbs 8, 17, it says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. There's an invitation on the part of God and even a promise that if you seek him, you will find him. What does it mean to seek and find him though? The best picture I've come across in the Old Testament, in the Torah specifically, is Moses on Mount Sinai. 
I don't even know what drove the man to even want this and know to want this. Where did he get his theology? Uh, How did he know to articulate and even desire for this? It's crazy. This is Moses on Mount Sinai. So when you go, I don't know how to see God, this is how. This is how. Moses um, comes to the Lord. He's on Mount Sinai interceding for the people of Israel. They done messed up. He says, see, you say to me, bring up this people, Lord, but you've not let me know who you'll send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name. This is God talking to Moses, you know, I, I know you by name. And, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, now, therefore, God, if I have found favor in your sight, please, this is, this is the heartbeat of, of the prayer. Show me who you are. Look at what Moses says. Show me now your ways. Your, your character, your heart, who you are. Show me now your ways. That I may now, that I may know you. That I may know you. So how do we know God? Well, he has to show us his ways. He has to reveal to us his character and heart. And guess what? He's oh so eager to do it. We just don't ask for it. And we don't know to, to even desire for that. And now you do. This is one of the biggest things we can learn to desire for and crave and have a passionate hunger for is God, just show me your ways. Apart from all the things I'm waiting for you to do in my life and the checklist I've brought to you over and over, apart from all that where I'm waiting for you to change things and change my heart, show me your ways. That's something you can do right now in this moment and you can frankly do at any given moment that I choose to ask. Show me your ways. Why? Because then I can know you. And Moses goes, in order to find favor in your sight, consider, too, this nation is your people. And you skip down to verse 18. And Moses essentially goes, look, this is what I'm saying, God. Would would you please show me your glory, the radiance of your goodness, the unspeakable character and qualities of you that I can't even comprehend fully, but you still reveal portions of that to us. Would you show us your glory? What makes you stand out from all creation as the creator and the sovereign pre-existent you know, existent one who eternally exists? Show me your glory, the radiance of your goodness, every aspect, the unspeakable attributes of your character. Show me your glory. That's a powerful prayer. Because you know what God is oh so willing to and just waiting to do for us? He's waiting to show us his glory. He's waiting to show us his ways and his character. The problem is people are too busy going through their Santa checklist to go, God, would you, would you, would you? All right, I'm out. I got to go to work. And they don't have any language for or even know to desire for this. Show me your ways. What if that's sufficient, that I may know you? What if that was, if, if prayer did nothing else in your life, in the world, in, 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 in human history, except that you would know God through what he reveals to you in prayer, would you, would you still pray? It's a good question to ask. Would you still pray? Even though we, he's going, look, prayer I've only designed it for you to know me. And you go, that's enough. That, that's more than enough. That's more than enough. Moses longs for the glory of God. Show me your character, your heart, your ways, who you are. 
the psalmist seems to imitate that passionate desire in Psalm 25. He says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. So there are many reasons why we want to know God. One of those is because I want to walk as closely to you as I possibly can. And the better I know you, the better I can recognize and discern when you're leading me, when you're directing me, when you're asking me to pivot and change direction, when you're telling me, no, don't move forward, even though it looks good. I can recognize those situations and and those opportunities God's presenting me to follow him when I know the character of God better. It's, It's almost like the filter for our life, yes, is the truth of God's word for sure. But even like if you were to bump it up a level, it's the character of God himself becomes the filter for how we live life and make decisions. Is we compare it to what scripture tells us is true of God. Is in this moment, if I make this decision, is that consistent with the character and the ways of God? If not, then I can tell that's not the path I should be walking. So God teaches us the way to walk, the way to live, through just showing us who he is. It's, it's incredible. There are people who, um, not to knock on any kind of church, but there are churches that are so about the practical side of teaching, where it's like, tell me what to do. The people know to expect, today I'm going to get five ways to change my X, Y, and Z, or six things that I can do to change my financial situation, and God's in the middle of that. And and they come to church expecting a list of action steps that they take away and go home and implement. And while it's helpful, and I believe in practical application and wisdom, tell me how to apply the truth of God, it's often to the neglect of the character and the ways of God. And the pastor or the teacher, whoever's in the pulpit, will so focus on, I want to make the people practically understand how to do this, that they neglect the truth of God's character and ways. And so what they do is they detach the principles of God's word from God himself, and now they have these principles that someone can implement and see some degree of success, but detached from a relationship with God, it won't yield the same results. And so we're teaching people all across churches, apply this wisdom, do these things, walk in these principles, and it's detached from a friendship, a living, abiding relationship with God. And now God is just boiled down to a set of principles that if I just X, Y, and Z, then he'll A, B, and C. When the psalmist is going, I want to know your ways. And the way Moses and the psalmist and every other biblical character that walks with God, the way they understand the ways of God is that if I know his ways, I'll live them out. And you're like, well, you have to practically know the wisdom comes in. You have to know where, where in your life to apply that. It's funny how the Spirit of God will just take a a nugget of truth, like God is holy. And then the Holy Spirit knows how to translate that into my life and into my mind so that I know what to do in response to this newfound revelation that God is holy. So it's not one or the other. It's not just tell me who God is. It's tell me who God is, and then I'll know how to live. But as you tell me who he is, tell me how to live in response to that. This is, this is what it means to have a life changed, is theology changes life. A right view of God changes your life. A right view of God breaks addiction. A right view of God brings you into the fullest life and helps you conquer what you haven't been able to do on your own. A right view of God, okay? 
seeing him clearly, knowing his heart and his ways and his character, will actually lead you to sustainable obedience. The Spirit of God knows how to translate that divine truth down to our level so I know what to do with it. And yes, there are teachers and there are pastors who are supposed to be a help and go, you know, this is pretty lofty. Let me break it down in a way where the people aren't going, "Uh, so I'm going to help them. There's need for that. There's place for that. But it's never to the neglect of, you know what, I'm just going to give people the action steps and not tell them who God is. If you give them the action steps and the principles without the character of God, that kind of obedience long term is not sustainable. The second thing we need to learn how to pray that will lead you into the fullness, uh, the fullness of what God has for you is not just number one, show me who you are, but number two, satisfy me. Satisfy me. And alongside that prayer and that language, here's the reason we pray again. God is everything we're created for. God himself is everything you're looking for, everything you're made for, the substance of what your whole soul and being craves for and wants to be satisfied by is actually God. It's not money. It's not a new career. It's not a change in location. It's not even direction and and having the perfect ideal American dream. It's actually just having him. We're created for God. His love is what we're made for. He alone satisfies He alone fulfills. That doesn't mean he won't use other things in life to bring a degree of satisfaction. That means that because he's at the center of it, it can actually prove to be helpful in life. And God satisfies through a number of ways, but the central focus of every way that he satisfies is that he is the one that's present. This is what Psalm 107 verse 9 says. So if you can learn how to pray, satisfy me, God, you'll be oh so surprised how your life just fundamentally changes for the better, for the better. You know, in in the garden, if I take you to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, or Eve specifically, tempted by the serpent, creeps up and goes, did God really say? Eve goes, "Mm, well, God didn't. And then from there, it's a mess. And then Eve looks at the forbidden fruit differently because the serpent kind of corrupted her perspective a little bit so that now she's looking at the forbidden fruit and qualifying that fruit as, that looks good for food, pleasant to the eyes. It'll make me wise without God. You know, that initial desire for knowledge and wisdom apart from God, she didn't have to act on it independently of God. She could have taken that desire, that craving, that newfound whatever, and said, hey, for some reason I want this forbidden fruit now because the serpent said it'll make me wise and not need God. So here's a desire I have. Instead of acting on it myself and disobeying God to get it and satisfy it, I'm going to bring this desire to God. I wonder what would have happened if Eve... And Adam, both with this newfound desire, said, hey, the serpent told us X, Y, and Z, God, and we have a desire to, to know wisdom, to know, to know good and evil. Would you satisfy that? I wonder what would have happened. can only speculate. Psalm 107, verse 9, it says, He 
being God satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. So guess what? Satisfaction, like heart level, eternal, the, the kind of incomprehensible spiritual satisfaction you're longing for that you don't even know to have the language for, he fills and satisfies the longing of your soul, the soul itself, with good things. With good things. And you go, this says nothing about prayer. The funny thing is it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. We'll get to prayer. But for now, I'm just trying to help you understand and rem- remember if you've ever already, already learned this, that God is actually the one you're longing for. Everything else is a cheap imitation that tries to replace God in your life. He's the one that satisfies whether that be through X, Y, and Z, but he's at the center of it. Jesus invites people in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me all who labor, all who are heavy laden. That sounds like uh, a longing soul, doesn't it? Wanting to be satisfied, wanting to be filled, but incapable of reaching that. Come to me and I will give you rest. Then he talks about taking his yoke upon him and, or on us and learning from him because he's gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find what? You'll find rest for your souls. There's an innate desire within every human being. However you exercise this desire, there's an innate desire in all of us for our soul to be satisfied. Some of us go after that through, you know, running after the approval of people. We just want to please people and make everyone like us and fame and influence and approval and, 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 and you know, self-image is all part of that. Some of us go after that innate desire and try to satisfy that with money and wealth and luxury and comfort and convenience and having the nice house and having the vacation stays that never last, but they're temporarily distracting me from the real troubles of life. And and, and we're always, everyone is looking for technically what can only be given by God at the soul level, but the world presents cheap imitations. So Jesus invites people to go, hey, you're heavy laden. By your inability to, fu- to fulfill the law, huh? Can't really do it, can you? If you come to me, I'll give you rest. Rest that you can't achieve. Rest that you can't attain on your own through obedience and meeting the law and trying to do it and trying to be morally good and trying to meet God's standard. You can't achieve rest. You attain it. You attain it by coming to Jesus and letting him lead you into that and give you that by satisfying your soul. This is what Matthew chapter 6 says. Or John 6, rather. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. When you hunger for food, there's a physical desire to be nourished. Your body is telling you, I hunger. Whoever believes in me should never thirst. When you're thirsty, like I am right now, your body's telling you, I have a need. Satisfy me. Jesus takes that understanding of how the physical body works and he goes, in a spiritual sense, I am the water and the bread, the nourishment, the true satisfaction of the soul that you're looking for. It's funny how we can experience this satisfaction, not just through the one-time belief in Jesus for salvation. This, these are the offers Jesus is putting out. Come to me for salvation and righteousness. But once your soul has been fully satisfied in Christ, there is the daily need to almost 
remind myself of the fact that he satisfied me or the daily need to come to God and let him do what only he can do, which is to fill me to the full for the day. This is the satisfaction, the soul level spiritual satisfaction that God promises us. And that part of attaining that daily, not salvifically, not righteously, but I'm ter- in terms of like uh, today, I just, I, I, I am in a place where it's a new day and I have a new desire to seek after God. God intends to satisfy that. And part of that includes prayer. Psalm 23, this is why I say one of the most powerful prayers you can learn to pray is satisfy me. So simple, right? So simple, yet how many of us have never even thought to pray? (laughs) Satisfy me. Satisfy me. We're looking at everything else. We're looking at girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, job, interview, opportunity to get a new house, new, you know, new life change. And we're going, satisfy me, satisfy me. New video game, new Netflix season, new X, Y, and Z, new opportunity, satisfy me. And these things can't. They fundamentally cannot satisfy you. So if you're recharging, if your soul relies on the fuel of God's presence, and then you're fueling up, you know, daily with something else i don't know social media video games self approval you know approval from people self image beauty fame likes shares whatever it is then you're running off something that your soul isn't made to you it's not satisfying you it's not actually re-energizing you and and refreshing you it's a cheap imitation and you're going to run dry real fast psalm 23 1 says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want. Now, now again, in light of what we've said, God, show me your ways. God, satisfy me. Read Psalm 23. Read Psalm 23 through the lens of God. Show me your ways and satisfy me. Think about the heartbeat of the psalmist here. David is saying, looking to God as his shepherd. Think about that. Just the relational aspect of he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Be in want. Be in need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Part of the way that God satisfies us so that we are not in want is that he tells us when to lie down. Sometimes he'll make you, huh? Like this last week, I know God made me lie down the last eight days. I needed it, and I didn't know I needed it. He leads me beside still waters. Sometimes life is still and you're like, God is here. He's equally near in the chaos and the mayhem too with the explosions going off behind you. He's equally near in that. He restores my soul. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Notice how the camera is zoomed in, not on the sheep. If this is a film, we're, we're just looking at the shepherd. If this is a documentary, we're just, the, the narrator is just talking through everything the shepherd does and everything the shepherd is. And the camera is just so focused on the shepherd. It's all about him. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, man, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, the overflowing anointing of God. Even in the presence of turmoil and enemies, when you're in enemy territory, territory, you just there's the presence of God. He's saying, "Come and feast." And the feast 
there is really the presence of God. My cup overflows. How are you overflowing when your enemies are surrounding you? Because he's near. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's the focus on from David's perspective? Thinking about God as his shepherd. What's the focus on? The focus is on God's presence. Being where God is. Being near to him. The fact that God is near to him. This is the heartbeat of prayer. The, the, the psalmist, as a sheep, looking at the shepherd, is going, essentially, Psalm 23 is saying, you satisfy me. In every environment, in every atmosphere, in every season, in every page of my life story, you satisfy me. In every moment, should I turn and focus on you and ask you to satisfy me, you're right there to fill my cup. In enemy territory, in the valley, by still waters. In the green pastures where you say, lay down, and you're like, yes, I will. Yes, I will. The third thing we can learn to pray that will lead you into the abundant life is not just, God, show me who you are. It's not just satisfy me. It's, God, give me full life. And you're going, God already gave me full life at the cross when I believed in the gospel. Yes, He gave you eternal life. And you have eternal life in His Son through faith. And you don't maintain that. It's a gift that He's given through your faith by grace. So you do have the fullness of eternal life. What this prayer is, when you say, give me full life, is speaking to this reality in this world. Saying, that eternal life that I have, and we need to redefine eternal life real quick. Eternal life is not living forever. Because you can live forever outside the presence of God. In exile, that's not life. Eternal life is knowing God, according to John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Jesus praying his high priestly prayer that they know you. The only true God. And notice, and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the eternal word. Yeah, knowing him is a part of the equation because you don't know the Father without the Son whom you've sent. So Jesus here, if he was to define eternal life and you were to go, what's eternal life, Jesus? He'd go, knowing the Father through me. And you go, hmm, I don't know, what? It goes back to Genesis 3. Humanity's cut off and exiled from the garden. There's no way back in. Jesus becomes the way back in to the presence of God. He becomes symbolically representative of the tree of life, right? So he, the tree of life that humanity is made to eat from and enjoy in the presence of God, Jesus is that. He gives life, right? So eternal life is knowing God. So with that on the table, what does it mean to pray, God, give me full life? What you're praying in this life, lead me into the fullest, abundant, most satisfying, most blessed life that you have for me. Give me that. I already have relationship with you. It's almost like you're praying, God, the eternal life that I have with you spiritually I want to see that translate into the physical. Let my life be as as closely uh, as close to that as as closely representing that as possible. I want my life to be a clear picture of the fact that I have eternal life with with the Father. Let my life prove that because there is the ideal God has for you. There's an ideal life, and the question is, do you want that or do you want your 
idea, idea of the perfect life. Part of living is laying down your preference. First John 1, 2 through 3, this is what John says. He says, he's just, he's enamored. I want you to capture the heartbeat of this. John the Apostle is absolutely, looking back in hindsight as old Grandpa John now, as he's writing this to the church, he's, he's even more captivated. He's even more blown away and enamored by the fact that he encountered the word of life in flesh and bone. And he's going, this life was made manifest. We've, we've seen it speaking to Jesus. And we're testifying to it. We're proclaiming to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now catch verse, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This, this sounds like John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus whom you sent. So what's the prayer here? God, give me full life. And that life is found in where? Well, it's found in His Son. So if you've believed in the gospel, you have that life. But your experience of the human uh, or the human experience here on earth, this temporary world that is fading, but this life, okay, God has an ideal picture and scenario for what this life is to look like for you. So when you pray, God, give me full life. Give me abundant life this side of heaven. I want to see my life be as close to your will as possible. What you're saying is, God, the eternal life I have with you, let it be so evident through the way that I experience the human you know, human life. And this fellowship with God is the key. It is the key. Um, in other words, not just, if we're to parallel this, eternal life comes through Christ, period. You don't have life without God in the picture. In the same way, the best possible, most abundant life God has for you, this side of heaven, that's not going to happen without him in the picture either. So it's both. It's both the fullest life here on earth and eternal life. God is at the center of it. Fellowship with God is the focus of that and the, a necessary ingredient for that to happen. In fact, John 10.10, Jesus talks about abundant life. The overflowing life he speaks of in John 4. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What a jerk. But he goes, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life God offers us, real time, that we can experience every day if we just choose to walk with Him. Part of the way we experience that is by asking Him, God, lead me into that life. Give me that full, abundant life you have for me until you call me home into eternal life with you. Until I see it. Because technically, I have eternal life right now. This eternal life that I have right now just continues forever. Whereas the temporary condition that I'm in, in this body, in this world... This kind of life won't last forever. So I'm going to live with God. I'm going to continue living in the presence of God, but in a different condition when new creation comes, right? Here's the fourth thing you can learn to pray that will just fundamentally change your life. It's this. Lead me into your blessing. Lead me into your blessing. And the parallel to this is another reason to pray God's blessings are experienced through knowing Him. 
And part of knowing God is not just intellectually through the word and spiritually as the word is being planted in your heart and you're coming to know him and he's revealing himself to you through that time where you meditate in scripture. But we know God in a plethora of ways beyond that. God reveals himself in creation. God reveals himself through life, through people, through interactions. And I'd say the secondary to the word of God, if not on par with it, is prayer. It's one of the biggest and easiest ways to know God is through the communication line we call prayer. This is what 2 Peter 1 says about the blessings of God. Pay attention to what he says here in verse 2 and 3. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace are something that I already have access to. Correct? I, as a believer, I have grace. I have peace to the fullest extent. So how can grace and peace be multiplied to a believer? This is referring to the experience of that peace and grace in their life. Experiencing that favor and peace. I can have something sitting on the shelf and God goes, has your name on it? And you're like, sweet, peace and grace has my name on it. It's another thing for me to reach out, open that box and actually enjoy the grace and peace that he's given me through Christ. That's what it means for it to be multiplied to you. But notice how God multiplies not just grace and peace, but blessing in general. It's in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Same with John 17, same with 1 John 1. It's always the Father and Son. To know the Father through the Son or vice versa is to access and experience more of the blessing He has for you. So if you were to ask, you know, what is the delivery method of God's blessing? I am blessed in the heavenly places to the fullest extent in Christ. I get that. But how do I experience that on a daily basis? Be aware of that. Walk in that. Enjoy that. Well, the delivery method, the way by which God brings that into your experience is through knowing him. Not just in scripture, but in personal relationship and cultivating friendship through prayer. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, just so you know, what's in mind here is not just some things. He gave an example, grace and peace, but here in verse 3, it's all things that I need to live a godly life, the fullest life. It's through the knowledge of him once again. Peter repeats himself in two verses. Him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, the blessings of God, while we have access to it, while you own it, while your name is on it, they're experienced and enjoyed and accessed uh, increasingly through a growing knowledge of God in his word, in prayer, in just walking with him and investing into your relationship with God. So just think about how do you invest into your relationship with anyone? How do you come to know someone better? You spend time with them. It's the same with God. Ephesians 1.16, it says, I don't cease to give thanks for you. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. Remembering you in my prayers, here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, notice the Father and the Son once again, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
That's what happens when you know God and his ways and his character. The eyes of your heart, your spiritual insight is widened. You have a broader perspective. You see more clearly. And specifically, what you see more clearly is what is the hope that he's called you to. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance that Paul's already talked about in Ephesians 1, the blessings in Christ. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So Paul is specifically focusing on your glorious inheritance, you know, uh, the hope you've been called to, the power at work in your life. You know those things better and actually walk in those things more as you just know the Father and the Son. So what you can learn to start praying now is God, lead me into your blessings. How? By showing me who you are. The fifth thing you can learn to pray is this, and it's actually found in the same book. Go to chapter 3. But it's this. God, help me know your love. Help me know your love. There's a weird statement in Psalm 63. It's weird because it kind of blows our human categories out of the water. At least for me anyway. This is what the psalmist says. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. It's like, whoa, that, we're just working from that assumption? We just, we just agree that God's love is better than life? Who, when did we agree to this? Well, the psalmist has come to a place in his life and walk with God where he has realized, whoa, not just some general sense of love, but the steadfast, loyal, faithful love of God for his people. That's better than life. And because of that, the psalmist says, I will praise you. So let's work our way backwards, logically. God's love is better than life. God's love satisfies because that's the nature of God's steadfast love. We're not just made to be satisfied by God in a general sense, but the way by which God satisfies is by loving us effectively. So when we receive that love, what we're doing is we're allowing our soul to be satisfied by the fact that God loves me. I'm allowing the God of love to, or the, the love of God to be a focus of my heart, and my soul is being filled up and satisfied with the love he has for me. Knowing God's love better and deeper every day is the, one of the best things we can do. It'll fundamentally change your life. So being with God and knowing his love does include scripture and meditation and knowing his word better and walking with people and seeing God at work in your life. But that includes, once again, prayer. So you can go to a statement like Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8, my favorite verse, says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what my son was singing in the beginning of the video. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because that is the way that God shows his love for us. And then when you get to Ephesians chapter 3, this is what Paul prays. And this is why I say we ought to learn how to pray, God, show me your love. Help me know your love. However you articulate that. Ephesians 3, 14, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, watch what he says, God would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
Why is God strengthening someone? Why does Paul want God to strengthen someone? What is the purpose of that? What's the end of that? It's verse 17. Paul's praying, God, strengthen your people with power through your spirit in their inward being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that actually surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you notice the connection there? Not, not only is this a prayer, not only is this something that Paul yeah, just passionately prays for the church, but notice the connection. Being filled with the fullness of God. This is referring to a, on a daily basis, being filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being filled with God and His fullness and living the abundant life. However you say it, being filled with the fullness of God comes by knowing the love of Christ. Or you might say the two are even synonymous. Knowing the love of Christ is being filled with the fullness of God. This is why I said theology has its place in the Christian life in the sense that your life changes as your view of God changes and grows and adapts to the word of God and you progressively see him clearer. Part of that is knowing the love of God better. You're filled with his fullness. So if there's anything I should want, it's God, I want so badly to know how much you love me. I want to know every dimension of your love. I want to know how great your love is. I want to know how much you passionately love your people. Not just the world enough to send your son and lay down your life willingly, but how much you love your people. That should be a prayer for us. It surpasses knowledge. And that's something you guys and me, we desperately need. And I pray, Lord, that in this time you would, you would so show your people your love. Give them a deeper revelation. Let it hit them. Let scriptures that they've known for years since Awana, since being in church for the last 50 years, let these verses finally click today, Lord, where the love of God, your profound love, just fundamentally hits them in the soul. Where they're not the same, where they get it, where they see it. The sixth prayer we can learn to pray is, God, shelter me. Very simple prayer, right? Shelter me, God. And the reason for this is sixth motivation to pray is God is our hiding place where we are most secure and safe. And the way we take refuge is not just by coming under his word and doing what he says, but by running to him in prayer. He's the place, if you think about a sanctuary, a sanctuary is where someone finds a sense of peace, a sense of rejuvenation. They're refreshed, they're replenished, they're re-energized. That is what God is to be to his people. Not just a safe place in trouble and a stronghold from enemies, but also a place where we're rejuvenated, where we are so safe and we are so secure that we can just rest. That's what prayer is to function as. 
If there was a legitimate sanctuary right in front of you or a strong tower and you're running from the troubles and evils and sins and and enemies, all that life has to throw at you, and you're running into this tower and the stronghold is secure, no one can get in, and you're so at ease, you can just rest, you can catch a breath, you can process, you can think through things clearly, you can re-energize. That's what prayer is to be for his people. Psalm 73 verse 28 This is what the psalmist says. For me, it is good to be near God. It's good to be near God. Now, of course, he might have in mind proximity to the tabernacle or temple. But nearness, while physically and geographically, those can be factors, is primarily a spiritual sense of nearness to God. For me, it's good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell of all his works. When you pray, you're essentially running to God as your refuge. At least that's supposed to be the, the way you view and, and, and treat prayer. Is I'm running to you in times of trouble. Not away from it, but in the midst of it. Psalm 46 says God is our refuge and our strength. You can find scripture after scripture. Just do a word search on the word refuge or stronghold or strong tower sanctuary. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. This is who God is. He's not a help outside of trouble. He's a help in the midst of it. What do you need help from if not something that is troublesome or difficult? So the whole point of God being a help to us is that there is the need for help that involves trouble. A lot of us view God as a a stronghold away from my problems. Actually, He doesn't eliminate your problems entirely. He doesn't just look at all the issues of life and go, let's live in delusion. Let's pretend like they're not there, son. And you're like, I agree. Let's do that. No, in the middle of what is truly actually happening, he's a safe place for you to run to, to process, meditate, gather yourself, re-energize, have fresh perspective so that you can actually face those things properly. So you can endure with the strength and love that God has given you um, and made available in Christ. So Psalm 46, Therefore we will not fear through, though the earth gives way. I don't know why I said earth like I have a lisp. <laughs> will not fear though the earth, T-H, teaching my kids how to get that T-H through, man. Otherwise you're in big trouble. Though the earth gives way. Think about when, um, is it a Byram? Uh, no, it's not. I forget who it is in in, in the Torah. There's a story where these two individuals are essentially trying to usurp Moses' and Aaron's authority, and uh, God is not having that. The earth ends up swallowing those rebels. That's the idea here. I think that's what's in mind. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, even though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, and you're like, I, yeah, I, I can't, I don't want to even envision those things. Well, the psalmist is saying, in the worst case scenario, he is our refuge. Think about the worst case scenario, at least for the believer, it's death. You died. Not to belittle death, but Jesus says, fear him who can kill body and soul in hell. So to die is not the end of our story. To die is actually entering into um, what God has truly made for us, which is going to be a new creation, a glorified body. That's why spiritual or a form of dying to self is what takes place when you're born again. You die to your old self. So death is not the final um, doesn't have the final word over God's people. 
It's actually the way into the life God has called us to. It's the way we enter into glorification and redemption or redeemed bodies and resurrection. And You don't resurrect unless you die, right? So death doesn't have the final word. And we can learn to pray, God, shelter me because you're my hiding place. That's why I need to pray. The last thing you can learn to pray, which again, life-changing, man. These are just the things I've learned to pray. Uh, God, give me your vision. God, give me your perspective. God, help me see from your vantage point. However you frame it up, God, give me your vision. Be thou my vision. That song, Be Thou My Vision, is, uh, is what comes to mind. Psalm 73, 16 and 17. Th- this, is, this is what the psalmist says. When I thought how to understand this, he's processing the, what seems to be an injustice and the unfairness of life and it just seems like evil prevails and we're in the same boat. We look at our culture and we look at our world, we look at those in power and we go, how much longer can this last? God is just. How much longer can he let it go on? Well, he's let it go on for centuries, millennium. And he's going to bring it to a close when he's ready. In the meantime, just like the psalmist is wrestling through this, we can wrestle through it. And he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And it is. It is exhausting to try and make sense logistically and, and, and logically how the world is what it is right now. And it, it's, it's exhausting. And he goes, until I went into the sanctuary of God, <laughs> then I discerned their end. He's looking at the evil in the world and how the wicked are, are dominating and how it's like, are they ever going to like get what's coming to them? Are they ever going to get the consequences, God, you say the wicked get? And he's going, I think about this. It's exhausting, man. And he goes, until I went into the sanctuary, where processing takes place, where prayer takes place, where worship takes place, where offerings are brought. He goes, then, oh, I discern their end. In other words, being in the presence of God for the psalmist allowed him to properly see what was going on in the world. He didn't have that perspective until he went to the sanctuary. There's another place where this takes place and then we'll end here. You have Elisha surrounded by the Assyrian army. Or sorry, I think it's the Syrian army. Yeah. So you got Syria and their army surrounding Elisha in a small village uh, with his servant. Uh, what's his name? Elisha's servant. He's, that's his name. In verse 16, he's freaking out. He goes, what are we going to do? We're dead. We're dead meat. We're dead. We're dead. Verse 16. Elisha goes, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I'm sure the servant's like, those who are with us, these villagers with their pitchforks, not relying on these schmucks. Well, Elisha's talking about something else. Elisha prays. And he said, oh Lord. And this is again, this is why we learn to pray this. He goes, Lord, Uh, open his eyes so that he may see. Boom. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw what was there the whole time. The whole time, what the servant missed, what he didn't have perspective for, what he just didn't have vision to see, God gives him vision to see what's actually 
happening. Nothing changed. Nothing happened differently. Just God gives him his perspective spiritually. And he looks, and on the mountains, it's full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Perspective. Vision. Maybe you don't need God to change what you're going through. Maybe you need him to give you a clear vision of what's actually taking place. Because you're looking at it from one angle going, this sucks. And if you just turn a little bit and see from God's vantage point, you'll go, oh, that's what you're doing. That's what's actually happening. This is one of the most powerful prayers we can learn to pray on a daily basis. Is when I evaluate my life and the circumstances financially, health-wise, relationally, my kids running them, running amok, stressing me out. When I look at my own inward, you know, ability to process and look and and follow God, and I'm like, I'm a failure. When I look at everything going on around me, sometimes the best thing to do is shh, shut up. God, right now I don't, I don't think I see things the way you do. Give me your vision. Help me to see what's really taking place. You don't need God often to change what's going on. What you need him to do is change how you see what's going on. You need a change in perspective. So, if you can learn to pray these seven things, however consistently, whatever this looks like, if you incorporate these seven prayers, not like verbatim where it's like a scripted thing, the heartbeat of these things, God, show me who you are. God, satisfy me. God, give me full life. God, lead me into your blessing. God, help me know your love. God, shelter me. Be a shelter to me. God, give me your vision. You will be walking in uh, so much more that God has for you. It's an open heaven. The heavenly inheritance, your riches in Christ, the fullness of God's blessings that he has for you are found in learning to pray according to his word. And these seven things are a these seven prayers are a great place to start. They really are. It will change your life. And these are seven reasons to pray. The infinite God has invited us to come and know him. God is everything we're created for and made to be satisfied with. Our best and fullest life is experienced through knowing God. God's blessings are experienced through knowing him. God's love is better than life, and we need to know it better. God is our hiding place and our sanctuary. And God gives us eternal perspective of our problems. So, I don't know how else to close this except to let you know that this is an online ministry. And then I want to close, you know, I want to pray for you. Um, just that God would lead you into these things. You would learn how to incorporate these things into your own life and faith walk. But also, um, before we do end in prayer... I want to let you guys know, who you, you who don't know, maybe you're new here, maybe you've never come across our content, or maybe you're just tuning in for a live stream. Um, this is an online ministry, and so I have a wife and two kids. We live in South Carolina. This is what God has called me to do the last year and a half. Or all, yeah, about a year and a half. And so you can go to abovereproachministry.com. The link is in the YouTube description below. Um, you can check out all the free stuff we have. I'm getting a new believers kind of area set up, so give me time on that. But we have free devotional studies, free online Bible study courses. So if you really want to learn how to read the Bible and you're new to Scripture, you don't know where to start, you're overwhelmed, you're confused, you want to take your Bible study deeper, we have a 40-day Bible study program, um, a 27-day and 11-day program, uh, as well as other Bible study skills courses that are free. All of these resources are free. 
Bible study worksheets, all my sermon notes that I use, which by the way, the sermon notes for today's message is linked in the description below. Uh, you can use that for small group, for Bible study, for whatever, discipleship, as well as our online church. You can join our online church through the Discord app. Just click the link in the description below or on our website and you'll be in our church after you apply and let us know you're not a bot and you're not coming to troll. <laughs> That's really the reason we have a filtering process. Um, you can learn about our beliefs. You can get a copy of my book, Fruitful, uh, The Essential Keys to Living the Most Abundant, Satisfying Christian Life This Side of Heaven. So if you're a new believer or you've really just taken your, your faith walk seriously and you've rededicated yourself to God or you're a mature believer and you've been walking for like with God for 480 years, either way, this book will be of, of value to you. You can sample it right here for free. And you can also listen to these messages on podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have a second podcast for the local church as well called Above Reproach Church Podcast and a second channel for, for Christian creators that I really need to go back to making content consistently for. Um, but beyond that, all these free resources are made accessible to everyone around the world because of generous supporters like you guys. And so if you want to partner with us and give or pray with us, you can give financially um, and send a check to Green Cove Springs, Florida, right here at the address. Um, you can donate through your debit or credit card. And again, that makes all these free resources available to everyone around the world completely free. Um, the Bible study courses, the sermons, the the what have you, everything that I listed already. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. Uh, we have a Patreon, so if you want to be a monthly supporter for a certain amount, you, there's exclusive benefits for those of you who are patrons. And if you'd like to get some church merch, that also supports this ministry and makes everything that we're doing possible the way that God supports us um, through your guys' generosity and everything that you guys pray and you give and you're a part of the online church. Everyone plays a role here, so... I think that's all I have in terms of today's um, message. It's a shorter one. We're ending a little early. But I want to give you more time to really think through and, and meditate on, on, on what was said and not just overload you with information. But I do want to pray. Um, I want to pray. Hold on. Tiffany says, I need help with the sermon notes. When I download them and open it, it's just blank. Uh, it's probably just because it's downloading straight to your... Um, whatchamacallit, your device, and it's going to a blank page. So you might need to maybe change some settings. Let me let me verify that, though, real quick. Let me actually get the link and pull it up. I'll tell you. It might be the device you're using, too. So if you go to access the sermon notes and small group questions in the YouTube description, you click that link, it does download it. Cool. So, yeah, it works. You just have to... It probably won't work on, on iPhone or something like that. Use your computer. Sometimes it'll open uh, like a PDF on the phone, uh, depending on your settings. But um, I want to pray for you guys just that the Lord would um, do these things in your life. I wanna, as best as I can remember to pray for these things. Father, I pray really that you'd show your people who you are. Um, that you would lead them into the fullest life and the blessings that you have for them. God, I ask that you would give them a desire to know you, that you'd show them your ways. You'd open the eyes of their heart, give them fresh perspective. God, be the shelter that you are to your people. Help them to be very much aware of the fact that you are their shelter. And I trust that you accomplished all that you want, wanted to do through this message in the hearts and the lives of your people. Thank you for this time and your truth that we can stand on. This is not just some 
I don't know, waste of time, some classroom lecture. This is the living, abiding word of God. And your word changes our lives. Your word changes reality. Changes everything. So we want to follow you. Teach us to pray. Give us motivation to pray for those that struggle to incorporate prayer into their life. I pray that something would click today, Lord. You would set a fire. That's what I pray for, Lord, is a fire, a passion, a newfound hunger for your presence that you would just drop into the hearts of your people. I pray this in the name of your son, believing you'll do it. I know you're faithful. I don't have to ask. You're already at work. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Well, that is all I got for you guys today. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you guys on tomorrow. Shoot, tomorrow's Wednesday for the Q&A. So if you have questions, maybe I didn't answer something or I didn't, you know, I wasn't clear on something, um, let me know tomorrow. And uh, yeah, someone said the downloading sheet's going straight to merch store. The downloading sheet's going straight to merch store. It didn't for me, Angie. When I clicked the link in the in the YouTube description, which is what I think you're clicking, um, are you clicking the uh, the link in the YouTube description where it says access the sermon notes? I'll show you right here. Um, let's see if I can pull it up. Okay, so on the back end, this is my description. Let's see if I can zoom in a little bit. Okay, right here. It should say, access the sermon notes and small group questions. This link should take you directly to the small group, or sermon notes, rather. If it's taking you to the merch store, you're clicking something else. Because I clicked it, and it took me straight to the document. So, I'm not sure why it ain't working. But um, on the website, oh, that shouldn't be happening. Thanks for letting me know, because I have to... I handle all the editing and stuff. You guys don't just stick around for this. I just want to make sure I handle this before I forget. When I click my sermon notes, it takes me straight to this. So I'll show you. See it? So I don't know what you're clicking, Angie, but on the website, bingo, bingo, um, I click free stuff, sermon notes, right here. And boom, takes me to all the sermon notes. All right. I think that's it. I'll see you guys later. Thanks for watching. Keep moving towards Jesus. And I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow for the Q&A. All right. Bye, guys.